Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. Gospels can be found in all four of the Gospel narratives. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have a feeding narrative where Jesus feeds a large crowd with just five loaves with some fish and some bread. And the first question I always have when looking at the feeding narratives is why is it so important that each of the Gospel writers decided to include it in their narrative. I understand why the synoptics would include it. They like showing similarities, that eyewitness account sort of deal. But why John? John has proven time and time again that he doesn't have time to retell old stories. They've been told once. His job is to, ret- is to tell new stories and relate those new stories to the old stories that have been told by the other three. Why retell the same story? Why waste the parchment? Unless, unless it's that important of a story. God cares about us so much that God wants us to be fed. In the presence of Jesus, nobody should go hungry. You know, when the early church began to meet, following the ascension and years after that, they gathered around a meal. And St. Paul references such a meal in 1 Corinthians 11, but instead of talking about the good things about this meal, St. Paul talks about the abuses the church was doing through this meal. He writes in chapter 11, when you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper. And one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Paul cannot identify what the Corinthians are doing as the Lord's suppers. The rich come and eat their fill, while the poor go away hungry. That's not what the Lord intended. Paul goes on to say that whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. For Paul, the way the Corinthians are acting will not only hinder their relationship with each other in their own community, but it's going to hinder their relationship with their Lord. If you eat in an unworthy manner, you will have to answer to the Lord. Paul concludes this section by, by writing, So then, my brothers and sisters, When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. For Paul, it is simply not worth risking your covenantal relationship with Jesus to mess around with the Eucharist. Eventually, the church around the second century would say the abuses of the agape meal were too great and forbid it in the Didache. Sort of. The Didache is a uh, second century manual on the liturgy of sorts. And in this document, a new formula of worship 
was written, where the only meal celebrated during worship was the Eucharist. However, that didn't mean Christians were out of the business of feeding. It simply meant that the physical feeding was something that the church would need to do outside worship. And food is a good reason to get people to come together. I mean, if you want to get people to come to stuff during the week at church, you have a meal. And they usually show up. That is the one thing that still works in this post-COVID world. Have a meal, the people usually will show up. I know personally, Wednesday nights in Lent and Advent are wonderful because it's the one night during the week that I don't have to cook during a very busy time. Instead, I get to come be with you all, have a fantastic meal, and then spend some time in worship. Having a meal together is something that Jesus did regularly with his disciples. And it was through meals and banquets that Jesus revealed to us numerous times over the great power of God. So what is this meal showing us about the power of God? Notice the question that Jesus asked of Philip. Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip's reply Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for them to get a little. Quick little calculation. I figured out in today's number that would be about $14,400, which works out to be about $3 a person. Now, after going to my brother's wedding a couple weeks ago, I would think Philip's number is on the low end, but then again, my brother had like three or four different main course entrees, a whole bunch of sides. They went all out on that. You know, if you're just looking at cost alone, a loaf of Wonder Bread, I think, is about $2 in the store, maybe a little bit higher. Throw in a can of sardines for a dollar. You might be able to get it done at cost for $3 a person. The disciples look at this problem that Jesus presented them with. They cannot get past the grand scale of the situation. 5,000 people in a field have followed Jesus. And now Jesus wants to feed them. They see the cost of this being astronomical. None of them are working. They don't have that kind of money lying around. They're traveling the countryside, going from town to town, following a man who they met, who invited them to come and see. Well, they came and saw some stuff. And right now what they're seeing is a bunch of hangry people in a field and Jesus having some crazy idea to feed them. Could you imagine having 5,000 people showing up to church and then expecting to be fed afterwards? We can only fit like 600 people in here. And that's like standing room only at that point. Let alone all the extra parking that it would take to fit 5,000 people here. I'm sure the Burgess would be calling me on Monday morning asking what's going on. And the extra bulletins that it would take to do that. And could they even begin to hear? You think about it. If everyone sat 20 persons to a row, you would have to have 250 rows of people. And the average space for a person to sit is about three feet. So to have 250 rows, that works out to be about 750 feet or two and a half football fields. We're talking about a massive amount of people, a massive cash flow problem, a massive undertaking for 12 mostly washed up fishermen to figure out. 
Andrew says to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five loaves of barley, five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? And that seems like a strange thing to say to Jesus. If you think it's a worthless idea, why even share it? Five loaves of bread and two fish among 5,000 people. One thing, that's kind of an incredible lunch for a little boy to be walking around with. I mean, I've seen Thomas eat a whole little Caesar's pizza, but never five loaves of bread. Certainly, he ain't going to touch any fish. Perhaps he was on his way home to bring the food for his mother to make a meal. It doesn't really matter, though. What matters is the child heard the need and responded by going up to Andrew and offering up his food to use and help feeding the crowd. And notice then what Jesus says next. He says, make the people sit down. Jesus takes the bread and gives thanks for it. He begins to distribute the bread to the crowd along with the fish. Now, I've heard many different interpretations of how this miracle was accomplished. The one that I hear the most is that, that people just looked in their bags and found that they had some extra bread that they brought for the journey, some extra fish, and they began to break it and share it, and boom, we fed 5,000 people. It becomes a really nice homiletical device to talk about how this miracle could easily be done by us today if we just share what we have. I mean, maybe that's how it happened. But let's look at what Jesus does in the Gospel of John. For starters, he turns water into wine. And not just any wine, but really good wine, superior wine. He heals a little boy near death. He's in a separate town. He's able to heal this boy remotely. After his father begged Jesus to do so. There's other stories of where Jesus healed the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. In a few in a few pages, a few more verses, we would hear about Jesus walking on the water. And eventually, we would hear the story about how Jesus raised Lazarus back to life after being dead four days. Why is it so far out of the realm of possibility that Jesus could feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish and have 12 baskets full of leftovers? If we're willing to believe all these other things as gospel truth, why can't we believe in this miracle? None of this would have happened if that little boy had not come up to, to Andrew and offered up his lunch. That little gift was used to reveal to us the power of God. It showed us that even with a little, God's power can be manifested in powerful ways. The miracle reveals that even a child can play an integral role in the mission of the gospel. This miracle reveals to us that people like my sons, Graham and Paige, and all of our little ones that run around here on Sunday morning, that they play a role in the mission of the gospel. This, this miracle reveals that common, insignificant materials, goods, and gifts all matter in the revelational work that the church does and participates in. I've learned more about Jesus, listening to my boys tell me about him than I did in any theology class. I have learned more about how to treat my neighbor than I have from any other adults, from my boys. But I think we also need to realize that all ages matter in the mission of the gospel. We often like to focus on youth and family. But all, mission, all ages matter. 
You know, growing up, my Sunday school teacher was not of my parents' generation. The one I remember most, Miss Pat. She didn't have any kids in Sunday school. She was quite older than the rest of us, than the rest of my parents, than my parents. She didn't need to teach Sunday school out of reciprocity. You know, my kids are in this program, so I feel obligated to volunteer. She showed up each week to teach kids she had no kinship with simply because she had the gifts to do so, and there was a need for her to do it. Mr. Bill was my guitar teacher, but before he was my guitar teacher, he was asked to be the superintendent of Sunday school. And one thing he wanted to do was teach kids music. And so Mr. Bill learned how to play the guitar in order to teach some Sunday school songs. And eventually Mr. Bill would teach me how to play guitar. It was because of Mr. Bill that I play guitar today, and I really do believe that it's because of Mr. Bill that I'm standing in this pulpit. You know, I know I was a PK, and my congregation had a special relationship with me, but they never blinked an eye when I would come and say, hey, I learned this new, Mr. Bill taught me this new song. Can I play it for you as an anthem? And one week it was Let It Be by the Beatles. They never blinked an eye about that. They never frowned upon it and said, you know, we don't do that kind of music here. Instead, they let me play, and they clapped. And I'm sure I wasn't that good. But every time I learned a new song, they invited me to play. There are so many people that I have encountered throughout my journey of faith that made sure that I have what I need to walk with Jesus. Ministry is not just for the little ones. It involves all ages, all of us, no matter your race, gender, or this means people like Ms. Adrian, Mr. Herod. They all have the, every one of us has the ability to be like this child in the story this day and offer up something that may seem so insignificant to the rest of the world, but it's just what Jesus needs to reveal the power of God. We all have that one thing to offer. And I know that sounds super cliche as to say in a sermon. Oh, you matter to God. Sounds like something you were cross-stitch on a pillow, and you all know how I feel about that kind of stuff. But yet, how often I hear people say that they don't matter to God. You know, people make me pray because they think my prayers get to God faster than theirs. We Lutherans might know that might be all about justification by faith through grace. But how many actually truly believe it? Many of us don't see the value each of us hold in the body of Christ. And sometimes it's hard to see the value in others. Sometimes pride and arrogance gets in our way. When that happens, it's unfortunate, and it complicates the mission of the gospel. But God can still make impossible things happen. Because our God took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 people on a grassy plain. What do you have to offer today? What is that little insignificant thing that you have in your life that might not make the whole difference, but you haven't given it to God yet? And I don't care about your age. I don't care about whether or not you have kids or want to have kids. Or I don't care whether you have a high school diploma or, or a PhD. I don't care about what you do. I don't care about any of that stuff. 
Christ is present with us. The new mission front is before us. There are more unchurched people now in our world, in our community, than ever before. There are a lot of people who don't realize how much they need Jesus in their life. I think our Lord is asking the same thing that he asked Philip on that grassy plain. What you got? How are we going to respond?